Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for singing that. And uh, thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Doesn't just demand that for me, it demands that for you too. So thank you for that reminder. All right, James chapter number four. James chapter number four. And uh, we're going to turn there and continue our series through the book of James. Faith in Motion is the name of the series. Uh, but the title of the message today is Who Do You Think You Are? Who do you think you are? James chapter four. Verses 11 and 12, just two verses this morning. And as you're turning there and finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, out of respect and reverence for the perfect Word of God. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says this, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that is so practical for us, even thousands of years after this was written. It applies to us in the here and now. And God, I pray that you would help us to not just be good hearers of the word, but a doer of the word, and help us to apply this truth to our life. And God, I pray that uh, you would mightily bless this time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I ask you to imagine with me for a moment a small courtroom in a quiet town. A trial took place that had captured the attention of the entire community. This case involved a young man named Samuel, who had been accused of a serious crime. The judge presiding over the trial was known for his wisdom, his fairness, and impartiality. He had earned the respect of everyone who had ever appeared before him. As the trial progressed, though, something unexpected happened. You see, a man who had no official role in the proceedings at all, a stranger to the court, suddenly stood up from the back of the room and boldly declared, I can do a better job than this judge. I should be the one making the decisions here. Now, now obviously, that's a ridiculous thing. I mean, who does, who does this guy think he is? I mean, the audacity of this guy to want to assert the authority of the judge. A friend, as we consider James chapter number 4 in verses 11 and 12, before we get too bad of an attitude towards this guy who stands up in the back of this courtroom and says, I can do better than the judge, we can be guilty of the same thing in our lives as well. And James here in these two verses is asking, who do you think you are? At the end of that verse number 12, he says, who art thou that judgest another? Who do you think you are wanting to take the place of the judge? 
What makes you think you can do these things and get away with it? See, this, my friend, is what James is trying to convey to his readers, and that is the point the Lord has for us today. Let's dive in and unpack this, these two verses and, and learn what it means to not become the judge. First of all, I want us to see the requirement. The requirement is found in verse number 11 where James says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. So two requirements that James points out that we are to live by. First of all, we are to stop speaking evil of one another. And that was evidently going on in the assembly that James was addressing, that they were speaking evil about each other or to each other. Now, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says what, 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 what this means to do here is, it means speaking anything that may hurt or injure someone else. He goes on to say, we must not speak evil things of others, though they might be true, unless we be called to it and there be some necess necessary occasion for it. So just because something's true doesn't mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, 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 the kid at the, the, little, the little one, the, the two or three-year-old at the uh, grocery store standing behind somebody who is um, horizontally gifted. Maybe a nice way to say it. And then they might say, Mommy, why is that person? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It might be true, but it doesn't necessarily help in this situation. Um, should we, you know, well, hey, it's true about that person, so therefore I must share that information. No, just because something's true doesn't mean it needs to be shared. Uh, and then he goes on to say, much less we report evil things when they are false. See, our lips, our, our lips must be instead guided by the law of kindness as well as truth and justice. Paul mentioned this as well in his epistle to the uh, church at Ephesus when he said in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Peter also uh, mentioned this as well in his uh, letter. He said in 1 Peter 2.1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings. So the requirement is for us to, in verse number 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Again, this is not the only time that we are chided for the misuse of our tongues in this book. I mean, so many times we've already mentioned it a few times, but, uh, but, but in James chapter number 3, of course, is, is a tremendous passage, and we looked at that a few weeks ago, but in verses 9 and 10 of James chapter number 3, just let me remind you what it says there. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. He said, stop talking bad about each other. Stop cursing each other. Stop it. Stop talking about others behind their back so that they look worse. And hopefully that makes you look better. That's usually the motive in doing something like that. Stop complaining about your boss. Stop 
complaining about your parents, young people. Well, they're not perfect. Oh, really? We didn't know that. Yeah, we're, none of us are perfect, obviously. Um, let's stop talking and complaining about our coworkers to other coworkers. That, that shouldn't happen with the people in this room. Because, see, we have a higher standard. We have the Word of God. This is what we need to be abiding by. Everybody else may be talking about all the other employees, but, but let it not happen among us. What about our speaking about our fellow church members? You see what so-and-so is wearing today? That shouldn't come out of our mouths. Again, verse number 11, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Period. How much more clear could it be? Uh, there's a lot of Christians who will go home after church on Sunday, and I hope nobody does this um, from here, um, but they go home, and instead of having roast beef, they have roast preacher. And they go home, and they talk about the preacher in a negative way. Um, I guarantee roast beef takes a lot better than roast preacher. So I would encourage you, if roast preacher's on the menu, to tweak it, throw it away. It doesn't taste very good. Stop complaining about others. Stop speaking evil one of another. Just stop it. And again, I already mentioned Ephesians 4.31 it says, let evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But instead, verse 32 says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We are to put away evil speaking, and instead we are to be kind and gracious and tenderhearted. The virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, one of the marks of a virtuous woman, or really virtuous man for that matter, in verse number 26, it says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. May that be true in my life. May that be true in yours. That when we open our mouth, it's, it's words of wisdom, and in our tongue is the law of kindness. Has that been the case the last seven days? I hope the answer is yes, and if not, may the next seven days be true. Proverbs 16, 20, 24 says, Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Look, when you, when, when you say nice things, when you say good things, it, it builds people up. It's a, it's a help. It's a blessing. And again, as I already mentioned in my testimony of Sharpening Week, there were a lot of things that built me up. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. It, it helped me. It gave me health. Physically, well, physically, I didn't feel like I was that healthy. Um, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally, it, it helped me so much, the words that I got to hear this week. Are you a minister of helping the soul and helping deliver healthy things to people with your words? I hope the answer is yes. Someone wrote a poem, Henry Lesser did. It says, in the course of your conversation each and every day, think twice. Try to be careful of what you have to say. Your remarks may be picked up by someone's listening ear. You may be surprised at what some people think they hear. Things that you innocently say or try to portray 
can be changed and greatly exaggerated along the way. Many stories change for the worse as they are retold, so try to keep any questionable remarks on hold. May I give all of you some very sound advice. When you speak of others, say something nice. Try to say good things regardless of who is around. If you have nothing good to say, then don't utter a sound. You may find that an innocent remark in the end may lose you a close and valued friend. See, our words matter, absolutely. And here James says the first requirement here is to stop speaking evil one of another. It, it just, and, and if we have a habit of doing that, if you have a habit of doing that, you need to break that habit. And instead of talking about them in a negative light, let's, let's start talking about people in a positive light. Let's look for some good things. And if we can't, if we can't say anything positive, then don't say anything at all. We all knew, heard that from our moms and dads way back when. Yet somehow, as adults, we forget about that. So, first requirement, stop speaking evil one of another. Uh, Secondly here, the second requirement is to stop judging each other. In verse number 11, he says, He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. Now, I want to take a quick moment to explain what the Bible teaches us about judging. Because most would simply say that God doesn't want us to judge anything. Uh, That's just not true. It's not simply that we should never judge anything. And and James is not saying that that judgment itself is wrong. Um, And and a lot of times, many people take this verse and a couple other verses in the Bible. Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest ye be judged. Another one there. It becomes misused by many to say that it is wrong to judge doctrine in practice. See, there is a right judgment and a wrong judgment. See, the Bible does, though, command us to judge righteous judgment. John 7 and verse 24, the words of Christ, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And then 1 Corinthians 2.15, Paul said, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. A couple things we are to judge here very quickly. You don't have to, just, just, just listen to these. We are to judge preaching. Or we are to judge sin in the churches. We are to judge issues in the churches among brethren. We are to judge false teachers and spirits. We are to try the spirits, remember that? We are to judge. So it's not that we aren't to exercise judgment. I mean, God gave us a brain, and, and he also gave us his word to, uh, to, to, to see if, if people are living according to that, and that, that, that helps us. But the type of judging we're forbidden to exercise is an evil type of judging in the sense that it leads to tail-bearing. It leads to gossip, slander, and backbiting. Romans 2, 1, Paul said this, there are, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, art, thou art that judgest for... Let me read that again. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, wherein thou judgest another. Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. He said, let's stop judging others for their motives. In, in, in his little book of illustrations of Bible truth, H.A. Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others and their motives, and based on appearance as well. So he related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. 
He said he was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was going to be sharing the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself of that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and met the man who was to occupy the other bed. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. The other man that you just mentioned has been up here too and left his valuables for the exact same reason. (laughs) So be careful when you judge because guess who else could judge you? See, here's how we judge others. We assume the worst about their motives. We think we know why they did something. And we usually don't think it was for the, good, the best reason. Um, we, we think we know all of the reason why someone does something. I want to invite you very quickly to turn to Proverbs chapter number 6. We'll be back in James here in a second, but I want to show you just a little something here. James, uh, Proverbs chapter number 6. And verse number 30. And I heard this this week, at sharpening week, and this was a help and fit here very much. Proverbs 6 and verse number 30, the Bible says here, Solomon trying to talk to his young son, Rehoboam. He said, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. What is that talking about? Well, when a thief steals food, you know, we, we just look at the act and automatically just want to throw the book at them. But here, there was a reason, there was a motive behind why that thief stole the food. It says, if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. I mean, there just needs to be a little bit of understanding and And understanding motive and not just assuming motive. Normally, when when a thief steals, we want to throw the book at them because we assume the motive that they're just horrible people. But it says, if he steals to satisfy his soul when he is hungry, the beginning of the verse says, men do not despise a thief. We kind of go, you know what, I understand why he did that. And there's a little bit of compassion there. That's not to say that he doesn't need some consequences. There's still consequences that are needed in verse number 31. If he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But the idea is that we automatically assume why someone does something, and we don't take the time to really understand the motives. And if you don't know why, if you don't have that conversation with someone, then, then don't just jump to conclusions in your mind. That's what James is saying. And this little illustration in Proverbs 6, I, I think, helps me, at least in my mind, to go, you know what, we need to take some time to realize why that he was a thief. Oh, he, he, because, he, was, because his, he wanted to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. 
Now, it doesn't mean that there's no consequences for it. There doesn't mean there, need, there doesn't need to be um, some, some ramifications. But at the same time, we don't need to despise them. We don't need to throw the book at them. Some of us are pretty black and white in our lives. And, 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 and I think that, you know, we have God's word that gives us, you know, what God says. And, and, and it is black and white. But I think it would be good for us to take some time to understand. And James is saying, look, stop trying to become to the point where you think you know why everybody does something. None of us do. None of us do. So many times we think we know these things, but only God knows the heart and the motive. 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord is the one who looks on the heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9, thou, thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts. 2 Chronicles 6.30, then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according unto all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. See, there's one one who knows the hearts of mankind, and it's not me, and it's not you. It's the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And here's the point I'm bringing that verse up. It says, here's the deal. If, if we can't even know our own heart, what makes you think that you can know someone else's heart? We can't. We can't even know our own heart and all the motives we have in our life. In verse 10 of that same chapter, the very next verse says, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. See, only the Lord knows those things. And we need to step away from that and let him do his job and let us follow the requirements here of not speaking evil of our brethren, and not judging our brethren. Stop judging the motives because you can't always know why someone does something. And this is convicting to me too, by the way. This isn't like, hey, you all need to work on this. No, I think we all need to work on this. Okay, so the requirements, I want us to see very quickly, number two, the, the reasons. Verse 11 again. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. And here, here's why we shouldn't do this, because it goes on to say, When you do that, you speak evil of the law and judge the law. But thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So, I mean, what's the big deal about having roast preacher or roast somebody else in the church for lunch today? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, they're not going to hear about it. Uh, there was one quote, I, I don't remember who said it, but um, I almost put it in my notes. Should have, because I'm going to use it right now. Live in such a way that you could give, you could sell your parrot to the town gossip and be okay with it. Live in such a way that if you sold your pet parrot to the town gossip, it would be okay. Or would you be horrified and mortified if the town gossip got a hold of your parrot? Maybe it flew away and landed in their house. Oh, no. 
what are they going to know that we said? Little birdie told me, by the way, that's, that's Bible. That's in the book of, I think, Ecclesiastes. You, you better be careful because what you say has a way of getting somewhere, even if you didn't intend it to go there. It really does. So, but what, what ends up happening when, when we speak evil one of another and judge each other's motives? What ends up happening when we do this, in essence? Um, it, it really is the same as speaking against the royal law of love. The one that says that we are to love one another as ourselves. Love thy neighbor as you love yourself, right? That's the royal law. And when you start speaking against your brethren and start judging them in a negative light, what you're doing is you're saying that law shouldn't even be in existence. It's completely worthless, and I know better than the law. I am above the law. Look, none of us are above the law. None of us, I mean, the president of the United States is not above the law of the United States. Now, does he sometimes think he is? Probably. But he's not. It applies to all of us. And when it comes to the law of God, not one of us is exempt from the law of God. Not one of us is above it. All of us need to be subject unto it. But when you start speaking evil, when you start judging one another, you are in essence saying, ah, I'm too good for that. I don't need that. That doesn't apply to me. And obviously that's not the case. And you get to the point where you actually become the judge. So instead of simply obeying the law of God, we think we're above the law and ultimately take the place of judge. We think we're that, we're that guy in the back of the courtroom who says, I can do better than you. So you might as well just step down from the bench and let me take your place. And that's the reasons. But I want us to see very quickly, number three here, the reminder that he gives in verse number 12. He says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Here's the reminder he gives the readers to all of us this morning. There is only one lawgiver. It's not you, and it's not me. It's not anybody else on this planet. It's the Lord. The Isaiah 33 and verse number 22 is a powerful reminder regarding all of this. The Bible says there in Isaiah 33, 22, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. He's the lawgiver. <coughs> He's the creator. And he is the only one who has the right to give us this law. And so, when you and I start thinking we don't need to abide by that law, we, become, we think we become the lawgiver. And we have the right to kind of change the law. We do not have the right to change the law. There's one lawgiver. But he also reminds us that there is not only one great lawgiver, but there is one who can destroy. Verse number 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. We say, well, there's someone getting away with something that's doing the wrong thing, and they're getting away with it like left and right, and it's just not right, it's not fair. 
They, they, need to, they need to experience some consequences. Well, one day it's going to pan out. God is going to make all things right one day. Those who need to be judged are going to be judged. You don't need to take, you don't need to fast track that. God is going to take care of it. He's got it well under control. Matthew 10, 28, the Bible says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, there is coming a day of judgment, a day of great judgment for all mankind who has chosen to reject Jesus Christ. It's called the great white throne judgment, and it's coming. I'm going to read a story to you in 1969 in past Christian, Mississippi. A group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party, what they called it, in the face of a storm named Camille. Were they ignorant of the dangers? Could they have been overconfident? Did they let their ego and pride influence their decisions? Well, we'll never know. What we do know is that the wind was howling outside of the posh Richelieu Apartments when the police chief pulled up some type after dark. Facing the beach, less than 250 feet from the surf, the apartments were directly in the line of danger. A man with a drink in his hand came out to the second floor balcony and waved. Chief police um, from the ground yelled up, You all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm's getting worse. But as others joined the man on the balcony, they just laughed at the, chief, at the police chief's order to leave. This is my land, one of them yelled back. If you want me off, you'll have to arrest me. Well, the police chief didn't arrest anyone. Sadly, he also wasn't able to persuade any of them to leave either. He wrote down the names of the next of kin of the 20 or so people who gathered there to party through the storm. They laughed as he took their names. They had been warned, but they had no intention of leaving. Well, it was 10.15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles per hour, the strongest on record at that point. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets, and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later show that the worst damage came at the little settlement of motels, bars, and gambling houses known as Past Christian Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party in the Richelieu apartments. Nothing was left of that three-story structure but the foundation. The only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. Here's why I share that story with us, with you today. There is one lawgiver, and there is also one who can destroy, and one who will destroy those who have chosen to reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you can hear the warnings all day long, and you can laugh at the warnings, but one day the storm is going to come, and the waves of God's wrath are going to overtake you. And if you think it's not going to apply to you, 
Revelation 20 and verse number 11, I saw, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friend, the day of judgment is coming. Let this be a warning call to you. But please don't just laugh at it and say, <laughs> yeah, right. You don't understand how spiritual I am. You don't understand how religious I am. You don't really realize what a good person I am. Well, that, that you might be, but I'm telling you, that storm is coming. I was talking to one of the pastors this week, and he had, uh, he had shared a statistic with me that broke my heart, and I, but I, I, I don't think I can argue with it. Here's the statistic. He said, W.A. Criswold was a pastor of yesteryear, and he used to say that in churches, he believed that 80 to 90% of all people who went to the church were not even saved. And I went, as he said that, I was like nodding my head to just acknowledge that I heard what he said, but I'm thinking in my mind, can that be true? Lord, that, that, that certainly can't be true of Cornerstone Baptist Church. I mean, I'd like to think that 100% of the people who come to Cornerstone Baptist Church are saved. But I don't know if it's true. I mean, I, we try to have conversations with people as they come and join our church and have um, real conversations to make sure they understand salvation and that they've truly believed on Christ. But I can't know for sure. Look, if you're, if you're one of the ones who maybe isn't saved, can I remind you there is one who can destroy and will destroy Oh, it's not fun to talk about. It's not pleasant to think about, but it's the truth. And it needs to be shared. And, and I want some of you to hear the warning today. Or just laugh it off, ignore it, one ear out the other. Teenagers, moms, dads, this applies to all of us. There's one who will and can destroy. So a friendly reminder here that you to not think that you can withstand God on the day of judgment. You can ignore the warning. You can laugh at the warning, but the day of judgment is coming, and when it does, it will be too late to change. I know that's not very pleasant to think about and talk about, but it's the truth. Praise the Lord. Thirdly, James also reminds us that there is but one who's, who can save. Verse number 12, again, there is one lawgiver who is able to save. I'm thankful that in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we have offended the holy God of heaven with our sin and our wickedness, 
He has provided a way of salvation by sending his only begotten son to this earth who lived a perfect and sinless life and died upon an old rugged cross, rose again the third day according to the scriptures so that we can be saved, so that we can have a home in heaven, so that we can spend forever with the Lord. So grateful he did that. But again, have you received that? Just because you know what he did doesn't mean that you've received that in your life. Hebrews 7.25, I love this verse. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I love that. He is able also to save. Yes, he's able to destroy, and he will. But he's also able to save. And we don't have to experience that destruction. We don't have to experience the the lake of fire. We, we, We can spend forever in a glorious place called heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Praise the Lord. There is but one who can save. There's no other way that, there's no other one that can save. The Pope can't save. The pastor can't save. You can't save. Only Jesus can save. But praise the Lord, he can save. So if you need salvation today, that's the biggest need. You're here and you're lost and you don't know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day because guess what? No one is guaranteed another day. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, Solomon said. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Well, it's Labor Day, and it's going to be hot. It's Oklahoma. Well, you're probably, you're probably right. <laughs> probably going to be hot. The weather in Montana was glorious. I was like, ooh, goody, I get to go back to Oklahoma's weather. You don't know what a day may bring forth. Get it settled today. Don't don't think you've got plenty of time. No, no, no. Today is the day of salvation, Paul said. Not tomorrow, not when I get things figured out. Today, there's an urgency. Because none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. I want to go back to that imaginary story of the courtroom. I want to go back to the courtroom. We started with... So the stranger declared from the back of the room, I can do a better job than this judge. I should be the one making the decisions here. The story goes on. The entire courtroom fell silent, and all eyes turned to the audacious stranger. The the judge, known for his calm demeanor, simply raised an eyebrow and said, And who are you, sir? Stranger confidently replied, Well, I am John, and I have a degree in law. I know the law better than anyone else here, and I can deliver true justice. The judge nodded and said, Well, very well, Mr. John. If uh, you believe you can do a better job, you can go ahead and take my seat. And with that, the judge stepped down from the bench and allowed John to take his place. The onlookers were astonished by this turn of events, but they were eager to see if John could indeed deliver true justice. As John began to preside over the trial, it became clear that he was way in over his head. He stumbled over legal procedures. He misinterpreted evidence and showed a lack of understanding of the complexities of the case. Chaos began to ensue in the courtroom, and justice seemed 
further from reach than ever before. After a series of missteps, John finally realized the gravity of the situation. He turned to the original judge and said, I, I, I'm sorry, Your Honor. I was wrong to think that I could take your place. Please take your seat back and restore order to this courtroom. The original judge, displaying grace and humility, resumed his position on the bench. With his wisdom and experience, he quickly restored order and proceeded to deliver a fair and just verdict in Samuel's case. Can I encourage you, if you have taken his place on the judgment seat, to kind of turn to him today and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I I thought I could do better than you, but I I, I recognize that I can't. That was was a foolish thought. Would you please forgive me? And and would you please come and, and, and take your rightful place on the bench? God will graciously do that. Some of us recently have been kind of kicking God out of the bench and saying, I know better. Let, let, let me take over for you because I'm pretty good at this. And so we start judging. We start speaking evil. Let's get off the bench and let the Lord have his rightful place. He's the only one that deserves to be there. So many of us kick him out try to kick him out. We try to sit and say, no, no, I, I know better. Let, let, let's let him have his rightful place today. Let's repent speaking evil of one another. Let's repent of judging people's motives. And if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, today's the day to get that settled because he is the judge and he is able to save and to destroy And one day there is judgment day coming. You can't avoid it. You can't bypass it. It's coming. Today has been a warning to you. I've been the chief chief of police trying to get your attention. But now you have a decision whether you're going to hear it or ignore it. Let's pray together.